In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our Bible study from Psalm 103, starting from verse 12. This psalm, in general, speaks about the mercies and the compassion of God, and why we should praise Him and glorify Him. One of the reasons why we should praise him, as he said in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. This is the description of the great forgiveness of God. Also he mentioned the same in verse 10 when he said he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. We know that the wages of sin is death, but God doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor he punishes us according to our iniquities. As a matter of fact, the reason of the incarnation is to carry our sins in his body and to die on the cross in order to save us from the punishment of sin. So what is the reason behind the forgiveness? Why God actually forgive us our sins? His mercies and his loving kindness is the cause and the forgiveness of sin is the result of his mercies and his loving kindness. He said, as far as the east is from the west. According to the rite of the baptism in the Coptic Church, the mother looking toward the west lift her right hand and recite after the priest a statement to renounce Satan. Then the mother looks toward the east, raises her hand to repeat after the priest the confession of faith. So the West signifies darkness, sin, evil, while the East signifies new birth. So he is saying as far as the East, which is righteousness, is far from the West, which symbolizes evil, so far he removed our transgressions from us. Then in verse 13 he said, As a father pities his children, So the Lord pities those who fear him. No people are more patient than parents in caring for and raising their younger children. Paternal love brings the parents to labor persistently and relentlessly for their children and to bear up against their ingratitude, even if the children are not grateful Parents are patient, even if the children are violent in the most extraordinary manner, but the parents also endure and patient with their children. In the same meaning, God's mercy to those who fear him in regarding to their daily transgressions. God is patient, compassionate, long-suffering, dealing with our transgressions. God pities man's ignorance, pities our weakness, our foolishness, and 
when we stumble and fall. This verse in the present tense but carries the idea of continuity. So now and to the end. And what is the wise reaction when we know God's compassion and how God pities us? The wise reaction is to fear him. How much better to be on the side of his pity and compassion rather than to be on the side of his anger and righteous judgment. The fear of God would never bring us forth into a condition of terror, but rather when we walk in the fear of God, we will taste the compassionate fatherhood of God. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he give him a serpent if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him also, in verse 14, he gives us another reason why God forgives our sin, why he is compassionate, why he is merciful toward us. Verse 14, he says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So in his love, God deals with us according to our weakness. For he knows that we are dust. The pity and compassion of God toward those who fear him are rooted in his knowledge and understanding the frailty of our nature. He knows of what we are made and how we are made. So this is given as a reason why God pities us because we are so frail and weak that were easily broken down by a pressure of trial. Then from verse 15, David the prophet switches from the loving kindness and mercy of God, David passes to the weakness and helplessness of man. As if when he said, God remember that we are dust, so he reflect more on our frailty and our weakness so in verse 15 he said as for man he stays like grass as a flower of the field so he flourishes so comparing the life of man on earth with its short duration to the grass which soon appears and soon weathers is common in the scriptures in various books book of Psalm, Isaiah, James, Peter. Humanity is so transient that our days are like grass, unlike the flower of the field that blooms one day and withers the next day. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes, which describe man in his best state, had health, riches, honor, many gifts, but all of a sudden, he may lose all these things. So with all these, when we are exposed to every wind, we are likely 
to be cut by every hand and to be trampled upon by the beast of the field. Like the, the flower of the grass. Any wind can actually wither it or can be cut by every hand or trampled upon by the beast. We flourish not for so long and in the same way man is uncertain in his most flourishing circumstances. He can lose all of this all of a sudden. That's why in verse 16 he said, for the wind passes over it, over this flourishing flower, and it is gone, and its place remembers not more. So the wind here can be hot and burning wind that dries up the flower, or can be furious wind that tears the flower from its stem, or even can be gentle breeze that takes off its petals as they loosen their hold and are ready to fall. So man falls as if a breeze came over him and he is gone. How fast does beauty vanishes? How soon, like a dying flower, does such a one passes away? So God considers this and pities us. That's why in verse 17 he said, But the mercies of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Man ought to consider this himself. All of a sudden we can vanish away and we should be humble, dead to this world and consider it of the other world, this eternal world, this permanent one. St. Augustine says, in your reflections therefore on yourself, think of your low estate, think that you are dust, be not lifted up. If you are anything better, you will be so by his grace, you will be so by his mercy. So men will pass away, but God's loving kindness and righteousness, his covenant and his faithfulness endures from everlasting to everlasting. So David is saying the eternity of God is the rock upon which faith can lie in view of the uncertainty of man. There never was a time when God did not love us. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting, means there was no time when God loves us less, so his love it is from everlasting to everlasting. This love is for those who fear him. That's why those who fear God can securely commit their children's children to his care. As St. Peter declared to the Jews in his Pentecost sermon, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. St. Augustine says, you who fear not God, 
you will be grass and in grass and in torment with grass. For the flesh shall arise in the last day unto torment those who do not fear God. But let those who fear him rejoice because his mercy is upon them. These promises, the promises of everlasting love, the promises of mercy, are given with condition. The promises are made to those who fear him, to those who keep his covenant, to those who remember his commandments to do them. As we read in verse 17 and 18, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on whom on those who fear him, his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, to those who keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. So God is faithful to his part of the covenant. Covenant is between two parties. God is faithful to his part. And when there is faithfulness on the part of his people, the blessings implied in the covenant will be bestowed on them and on their children and on their children's children. But there are no promises of blessing to the unfaithful, nor have those who are unfaithful any reason to hope that they will be partakers of the blessing of the covenant of mercy. Those who do not fear God, those who are not faithful to him, then Unfortunately, they have no hope to be part of this covenant of mercy. We are all bound to God in the covenant made with him in baptism. In baptism, we entered into covenant with God and have his scripture to teach us what are the commandments of God to do them and to live by them. But those who merely think upon it, and admire its beauty. So they listen to the commands of God and admire its beauty, but do not put his teaching in action. God likened them like people who go to a theater and listen to a singer. When you go to a theater and listen to a singer, you will enjoy the song, but you will not do it. He said this to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 33, verse 31 and 32. He said, they hear your words, but they don't do them. For with their mouth, they show much love, but their heart pursues their own gain. Indeed you, Ezekiel, are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they don't do them. So the question when we come to church, are we coming to listen to the word of God or are we coming as in theater, we listen to a lovely song and enjoy it but don't do it. The fathers use many metaphors to describe the uselessness of mere reading the scripture or listening to the word of God apart from living it. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. 
rules over all. So in conclusion, the incomparable majesty of God is set before us in contrast with the weakness of man. He is the one and only fit object of worship. We are weak. We are like the grass. So from verse 19 to 22, David actually is explaining that God is the only one fit for worship because of his majesty, the incomparable majesty of God. So he spoke about the throne of God. The throne of God is established, will never be moved. His dominion is unchangeable. His reign is not like the reign of earthly kings, dependent on variability of a changeable will. Many kings were removed and replaced by other kings. But God, his dominion over all, from everlasting to everlasting. St. Augustine says, Who but Christ has prepared his throne in heaven? He who descended and ascended. He who died and rose from the dead. He who lifted up to heaven the manhood he had assumed has himself prepared his throne in heaven. He reigns, he rules over all the universe, heaven and earth, and That's why he can execute all his purposes, because he rules over all. Therefore, if we wish to stand by that throne, by the throne of God, if we would gain the merciful goodness, we must have our citizenship to be in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself as we read in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21 David began this psalm by telling his own soul to bless the Lord and was founded on the benefits which he had himself received. So because he received many, many benefits from God, that's why he's asking his soul to bless the Lord. Now from verse 20, he closes the psalm with an exhortation to bless the Lord, yet on a much wider scale. David invites other creatures to bless God, and to give him praise. He first invites the angels. Why? Because they are the creatures of the highest order. Therefore, it is very suitable for them to praise God. So in verse 20 he said, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. So, God is worthy of universal praise. All ranks of being, all worlds should join in praising God. Just as Jesus Christ spoke about the angels in heaven, how they rejoice over a repentant sinner, so in David's view, the mercy of God 
to his faithful people is the cause of high acclaim among the hosts around the throne. So the angels, when they see the mercies of God, they praise him. These angels, not having sin, have lost nothing of their original strength and power, and therefore must greatly excel falling men in praising God. Men became weak creature, unable to do the will and the work of God, but angels can do. That's why he said, you his angels who excel in his strengths, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. So the angels are tireless and determined, gifted with great strengths, are always obedient to God, and thus never fall into sin but are agreeable in the sight of God. All you his angels who surround him and thus have a more thorough knowledge of his greatness and this is a reason to praise him. All you his angels who do his word they carry out his commands to the letter. Just heeding the voice of his word. They stand before the Lord, waiting for the orders, listening with great attention to what he says, and then readily and immediately execute it. After he spoke about the angels in verse 20, in verse 21, bless the Lord all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasures. His hosts. Who are the hosts? Some say they are angels because some call them God's soldiers or armies. But in verse 20, he said all his uh, the angels. So others said hosts here may be like the sun, the moon, the stars. But others said since these seem to be distinguished from angels in verse 20, by them he meant the church militant. We who are still here in the world, the members of the body of Christ here in the world. Because we are like an army consisting of soldiers under Christ, whose battles they fight against sin, against Satan, and against the world. So David is asking his hosts, the believers, to give him honor and praise due to him. They have a great reason to bless and praise the Lord for all the great and good things he has done to us and for us. And he said, you ministers of him, you ministers of his. The word you ministers of his implies that we are employed in his service. We are appointed to execute his will. That's why we are also called to bless his name. The fact of being employed in the service of God is a sufficient reason to praise him. Also, it is implied here that those who ministers of his 
Actually, they should do his will. If I am employed in his service, then I am here to do his will. That's why we should be obedient to his commands. We should regard ourselves all the time as employed for him. Last verse, now he start by the angels, then by the human being here on earth, the believers. Then in verse 22, he said, Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All his works. After he invited angels and men to praise God, now he summons all created things to praise their maker in their own way. All his works bless the Lord. Although we don't we praise God in different ways. What do I mean different ways? For intellectual creatures like angels or us, we praise him consciously and audibly as witnesses of his might and his glory. But for the irrational and inanimate works, they praise him silently. How? By fulfilling exactly the purpose of their creation. When we see the sun rises always in the same time, or the appointed time, sits in the appointed time, stars, moon, everything actually work in a very amazing work. This in itself praising God. When we see his amazing work, we will praise him. Unless any exception should be made, lest somebody says, but David did not include this creature. Or it may be thought that David did not include all created things, whether in the sky, earth, sea, or any place else. That's why he said, praise the Lord in all places of his dominion. All places of his dominion. We can say, where God has no dominion, there is no need to praise him. But can you tell me a place where God has no dominion? Definitely there is none. So, wherever he has dominion, he is to be praised. And as that is everywhere, everywhere he has dominion, no one can be excused from praising and worshipping him. At the end, David ended the psalm as he began it, with a call to his own soul to bless God, giving him the honor and praise due to him. Blessing God and giving him glory must be the beginning and the end of all our services, as David started this psalm by praising God and ended the psalm by praising God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the first verse and the last verse. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.